This podcast is an unedited excerpt from a live MCLE webcast. See the episode notes for details about the speakers and links to the program's full video and audio recording. Get access to everything MCLE offers for one low subscription fee with the MCLE Online Pass. Learn more at www.mcle.org slash online pass. Please note that MCLE's products, services, and communications are offered solely as an aid to developing and maintaining professional competence. The statements in this recording may not apply to your circumstances, and no legal, tax, accounting, or other professional advice is being rendered by MCLE or by its speakers. For full terms and conditions, see MCLE's website. Again, my name is Rachel Grijalvo, and I'm gonna to talk to you about district court practice. So, um, I practiced most of my career in Suffolk County, and I understand that the DA's office in Suffolk County um, might be more progressive than a lot of other places, but the tools that you're gonna utilize to get your clients the best possible dispositions are going to be the same no matter what um, county that you're practicing in. So as an overview, the topics that I'm going to discuss are pretrial probation, pretrial diversion, decriminalization under chapter 277, section 70C, specialty courts like mental health court, vets court, and drug court, uh, a little bit about the Valor Act, which was modified by the BRAVE Act, and using a social worker to advocate for your clients. Um, Claudia, if you could go to the next slide. So just starting off with pretrial probation, um, that is a method of maintaining your client's record by um, being able to say that your client has no admissions or no convictions on their record. Um, you would contact the district attorney's office and put together a pretrial probation packet um, for their review. And um, you would have the client essentially do uh, probation or conditions prior to um, the close of a case. And if your client is successful, then the case would be dismissed. Uh, so there's no colloquy, no uh, admission, but if a violation occurs, then your client's case simply returns to the trial list. It can't be done over the Commonwealth's objection. Um, so then you go to uh, the types of materials that you would want to submit to the Commonwealth. So. I have um, in your materials put uh, a couple of examples of um, disposition packets that I've provided to the Commonwealth in, um, in my cases. I hope I included a good variety. One was a very simple pretrial probation request letter that really didn't have any documentation. Um, and the others are much more thorough. Um, one included a psychological evaluation, one included um, letters of support from family, um, as well as a human rights watch report because uh, this particular client was a non-citizen. Um, so I, I tried to provide a good variety. But if you could go to the next slide, Claude. Um, typically you would want your uh, pretrial probation or even just uh, this goes for any type of dispositional packet you would want to um, provide the Commonwealth. You would want to include, obviously, your advocacy letters, and you have my examples. Um, as much documentation as you can get, I would want to include. 
proof of employment or pay stubs, uh, some sort of letter from an employer if your client, um, if your client's employer is aware of their court case and can provide information about how your client is a very good, um, stable, hardworking, responsible employee, that's often very helpful. Um, if your client is a student, um, you would have them go on to their, um, their school accounts and print out either a class list or a transcript if they were a particularly good student. Um, if your client was enrolled in um, some sort of substance um, use program, you would want to get treatment verification. Um, and if they're not in a particular program, like an inpatient or an IOP, but they were working, for example, with a recovery coach, you can ask them to have their uh, recovery coach or their sponsor write a letter talking about their, um, their hard work in maintaining their sobriety. Um, if your client is um, you know, getting mental health treatment and are under the care of a psychiatrist, psychologist, or therapist, you would want to get all of those um, letters of support by family, um, teachers, community leaders, um, church leaders. Um, if you have a, a case where a client's maybe a parent um, of young children, I, I find photographs of family to be helpful. Um, I've done that in, in gun cases where my client had um, very young children. A psychological evaluation, you could either get an evaluation by an actual psychologist, I, I think I've included maybe a motion for funds, or you could go with a social worker, which I'll talk more about later, who can provide a psych social um, evaluation or just a, a memorandum in, in helping um, the DA's office understand a bit more about your client. And something that's um, a little bit more rare, but I've heard of, um, haven't done it myself, but you can get motion for funds for a mitigation video. There, there, are, um, there is a company I've heard of that does, and if you wanted information, I can pass that on to you later, um, does a, a video where a client has a particularly compelling story and they would you know, make a, like a mini documentary almost. They would talk to the, you know, the client's family, put together um, you know, different snippets that really put together a, a very persuasive video um, that you can present to the Commonwealth, which is a pretty different way of presenting a mitigation package, but, but can be highly effective. Um, next slide. So in terms of the pretrial probation conditions that you'd want to pitch community service um, for something kind of minor, like if your client was, you know, um, like, uh, I don't know, it's like he was stealing from, from like a shoplifting case or something like that, something pretty minor, or like a wanton destruction of property, community service might be appropriate. Um, for a client who has its clear mental health issues, you could pitch that, but the caveat with that is you want to make sure that your client actually has health insurance because you don't want to set them up for a situation where you're pitching this condition of release, I mean a condition of pretrial probation, but um, they can't actually follow through with that because they don't have health insurance. Um, to continue or engage in substance use treatment, if a client and, and sometimes those are hard to actually get your client into them. 
So another thing that I might alternatively pitch is that they'll do um, X number of AA um, meetings per week and have you know, them signed off on to provide proof. Restitution is something that, um, that DA's offices like to see uh, because that way, you know, it, it's a situation where you can make a complaining witness whole. Um, a lot of times, you know, the client might not be able to do the whole thing, but you can pitch a number that might be suitable um, that would be appropriate in maybe a, a leaving the scene type case or uh, stealing from a former employer. Um, I've had pretrial probation um, allowed in those types of cases. Um, for young clients, um, verification of school is always helpful, um, or uh, not verification, but to you know, maybe get a GED or a stay in school. And letter of apology is often, um, often popular with like ABPO cases in which, um, in which they would submit that and, and I've been having, I've had success with that. So um, that pretrial probation is different from pretrial diversion in the sense that pretrial diversion um, would be done, uh, pre, you want this to be done pre-arraignment. So it's a little bit um, difficult when in district court practice because district court practice um, duty days are very fast um, but if you are standing there and you hear that your client has no record, you really want to preserve their lack of record, um, if possible. So not just that they don't have admissions or convictions on the record, but they have no record. So what you would want to do is if your uh, client is, is charged with an eligible offense, um, then you would move for pretrial diversion. So um, for example, uh, so I, I, in the materials, there is a list of um, offenses of, that's ineligible for decriminalization, which I'll talk about next. But this is also the same list for um, pretrial diversion with the exception of simple assault and battery. Simple assault and battery, you can move for pretrial diversion, but you can't move for decriminalization. So if Previously, it had to be that your client was like between the ages of 18 and 22. Now, um, after the Criminal Justice Reform Act, it could be a client of any age um, who doesn't have any pending criminal cases or warrants, um, and that it would be a district court. Um, it would be a district court charge, and also that um, there is a program that they could benefit from the participation of that program. So um, the types of uh, cases you would wanna think about um, for this are maybe like uh, assault and battery, simple assault and battery. Say you have two brothers who got into a scuffle and one or both of them get charged. Um, it's not a domestic case, it's not a DW, simple assault and battery, they have no record, you would want to move for diversion. Um, and uh, so the process would be, you know, you, you ask for, you would move at arraignment for diversion that ask that the case be diverted um, for 14 days. And then you would talk to the probation department and um, the probation department would, uh, you know, set your client up or you could bring to the probation department your own ideas about what kind of program your client could engage in. 
So for maybe assault and battery, something that you could think of is perhaps like anger management. The other types of cases that you would want to think of are um, larceny type offenses. So if you look at that, um, that list of ineligible offenses, the only um, larceny type offense that's excluded is larceny from a person. So if your client is charged with like shoplifting or larceny under 1200, um, you would want to try uh, pretrial diversion. Another type of offense um, would be resisting arrest. That's a good one. If your client has no record and you want to preserve that no record, um, move to divert it. Or um, indecent exposure, your client got drunk and started peeing um, next to the side of a building and got arrested for it, move for pretrial diversion. So next slide, Claude. Um, sorry. Uh, there you have the whole process that I just explained. I should have asked Claude to do the next slide earlier, but there's the, the procedure. Um, next slide. So decriminalization. This doesn't have to happen at arraignment. This can happen at um, the pretrial hearing. Um, and I did provide a sample motion in the materials. And you, if your client is charged with a misdemeanor, and again, look at that list of ineligible offenses, um, you can move for the case to be turned into a civil infraction for which a fine would be imposed. Um, so again, same kinds of crimes that you would think of for pretrial diversion, you can do um, for, for this. So, you know, resisting arrest, um, larceny type offenses um, and in, in you know, indecent exposure, for example, trespass, um, th those types of, of cases would be good. Um, before we go to the next part, I just want to backtrack a little bit. Um, in terms of uh, pretrial probation, I, I forgot to mention that um, in certain cases, you know, when, when prosecutors think of pretrial probation, they think of a client with pretty much no record or very minimal record of maybe dismissals or things like that. If you have a client that has a record um, and you know has had quaffs, has had guilties, but you think it's a case in which um, you know some sort of disposition um, that doesn't include an admission or, or any kind of plea is appropriate, then you should ask the the prosecutor for a general continuance, it essentially accomplishes the same thing, but in just in terms of semantics, you're not asking for PTP, you're asking for, um, for something a little different, but it accomplishes the same thing. It would just be asking for a general continuance. For example, I had a case where um, my client uh, was just walking through an alley he was minding his own business, um, but you know some bike cops came upon him. They saw that he had money sticking out of his pocket. Um, they unlawfully pat frisked him. They uh, started being very inappropriate and pat frisked his testicles. They thought there was drugs behind his testicles. Um, they, you know, client starts trying to run away. They tackle him. Then he picks up ABPO, resisting arrest, trespass. Um, vandalism for when he kicked off their body cam. Um, but the video shows that 
you know, he hadn't really done anything wrong except for try to get away from them. He had a record. This case triggered a probation violation. So I said to the prosecutor, like, look, you know, I think a short general continuance would be appropriate given, look at this video, like he wasn't doing anything and they didn't even find any drugs behind his testicles. He was just a well-endowed young man. So um, <laughs> he, you know, so they did agree to that. Um, they did want the letter of apology, um, but ultimately that case closed um, with a general continuance. Um, and in terms of pretrial diversion, um, some community courts really don't do pretrial diversion much. What they would do in the alternative is um, can just continue the arraignment. It pretty much accomplishes the same thing, um, but you just have to know your court. Um, I, I don't really see that in the busier courts, but in the community courts, they do have a pretty robust practice of continuing arraignments as a method of weeding out the cases that really aren't going anywhere. So I have a case currently in which it was a client who has pretty much no, he's like 60 years old, pretty much no record, um, leaving the scene of property damage. So we've just continued the arraignment to reach out to the other party um, in which, you know, there was some damage to see if we could work out something without having this um, actually get arraigned. Okay, so next slide, Claude. So mental health courts, like anything, um, the type of uh, court or, or how the court is going to be really is highly dependent on the judge. Um, there are many mental health courts throughout the Commonwealth. Um, the ones that I'm familiar with in the, the one that I'm familiar with in Central Division and the Roxbury Division, um, they're very good. They uh, have judges who are very empathetic um, and compassionate towards our clients. Next slide. Uh, it can be predisposition or post-disposition. So what you'll want to do is send a referral to the mental health court PO and ADA, and uh, your client will have to be assessed um, by the, a mental health clinician for eligibility to see um, whether they have mental health issues, substance abuse issues, or both. Um, and you really want to know ahead of time before you counsel your client into whether you're gonna do mental health court, whether this is gonna be predisposition or post-disposition, whether um, you and the, the DA have the idea that your client is gonna do this and at the end of mental health court, the case is gonna get dismissed or whether there is an expectation that there was gonna be a plea and then that person is gonna do probation through mental health court. Um, the clinicians can be very helpful in helping the client navigate um, the system by helping them, for example, get referred to DMH, um, get mass health, find a therapist, which may be very daunting for your client to do by themselves, or find the treatment program. So um, mental health court can be um, a good option for clients. This, like, If there is a violence or serious offense, that's not going to be an automatic bar, but it is going to be taken into consideration. And if your client has a lot of those on their record, um, oftentimes I've seen that the, the DA and the PO will find that a 
client with a particular um, violent history might not be an appropriate candidate. Next slide. So the Valor Act, um, if you, you know, you always want to ask your client early on if, if they are a veteran. I know, like I said before, with pretrial diversion, it really is difficult when, you know, you're in district court duty and everything is moving very fast and the, you know, the judges want you to move fast, but, um, and you're just like, hey, getting appointed to, to represent this person who's at the bar, you do want to take just a few seconds and inquire, you know, is, is this person a veteran? Um, because if this person's a veteran and um, there is the possibility of continuing the arraignment under the Valor Act, then you would want to do that. So it would be for a client who has no record um, and there are only a particular, you know, domestic violence offenses are excluded. Again, you would want to look at that, that um, list of, of offenses that are ineligible for decriminalization because that's also applicable here. Um, and, you know, the BRAVE Act modified it so such that the veteran would have to be clini clinically diagnosed with either a serious mental illness, a substance use disorder, or traumatic brain injury um, in connection with their duty in order to qualify. Um, so the BRAVE Act did um, really kind of uh, narrow the amounts of uh, crimes that this would be eligible for. Um, so uh, next slide, Claude. So the steps that you would want to um, do are that you would ask the court to continue the arraignment for 30 days to get an evaluation under the BRAVE Act. Then they would meet with some sort of specialist um, to see if they qualify. And if they do, then they would go through the, the treatment plan and then the court would dismiss the charge um, in compliance with the treatment plan. Next slide. So um, that is actually different from veterans courts. There are a number of veterans courts um, throughout the state. And um, again, like, like any type of specialty court really depends on the judge. I found that sometimes um, like the judge may in their regular practice be uh, kind of on the harsher side or the tougher side, but maybe in their specialty court. Um, they show a lot of compassion. This is their, their issue. Um, they show a lot of um, empathy towards those clients. Next slide. I've seen that clients can get um, really good dispositions in veterans court. Um, they're, so unlike the, Bra the um, Valor and Brave Act, it doesn't ex exclude many offenses. So like you can go into veterans court if you're charged with domestic violence or gun offenses or OUI. Um, you can go into the veterans court, but you have to know and let, warn your client about the fact that veterans courts can be very onerous. Um, the veterans court that I'm familiar with, the usual time frame is between is about 18 months, can be a year. Every client is put on a scram. Um, which is pretty difficult, um, you know, even regardless of whether they have a substance use or alcohol disorder or not. But the outcomes are usually very, very good. In Suffolk County, on graduation day, the, the client's typical um, resolution would be pre-parole probation, nunk pro to the day that they started, usually about 18 months. And then the case is 
often dismissed um, pre-arraignment. Next slide. So for clients with a substance use disorder, um, you would want to really consider hard whether you are pitching to the DA regular probation or um, drug court. So um, drug court, the, the length varies and is typically 18 months, um, but you know, your client might just do fine with regular probation. And, and I would prefer that over drug court for, for pitching to a DA um, because, you know, it, it's a lot less onerous. Um, you, I would always pitch a substance use evaluation over um, drug treatment. Um, like, or, or I'm sorry, drug-free with random testing because, you know, your client, if they have substance use disorder, they are going to have missteps and that's just part of the process. So um, just know that uh, one thing that could be really helpful is to use a social worker to help finding appropriate programming. Um, and, you know, during certain times of year, for example, in the winter, finding an inpatient program, which is the thing that you know, in a particularly tough case might uh, convince um, a, a DA that, uh, to give your client some sort of break, um, that they, they might be um, on a very long wait list. And if your client is in custody, they might be waiting for quite a long time. So a social worker could help you navigate those programs. I think I included a, uh, a motion for funds for a social worker. Um, and I, we at CPCS have social service advocates that we rely on heavily to do all different types of things. And if you're a bar advocate, you would want to file a motion for funds for a social worker early on so that you can have them working with your clients um, with, if you identify that client as someone who has mental health issues or substance use disorder. Um, next slide, Claude. So um, if you are a bar advocate, I suggest, highly suggest contacting Kristen Dame. Um, she's the director of private social work services. She can provide you with a sample motion for funds. She can also help you find an appropriate vendor um, that would help with the various services that your client would need, like applying for mass health, doing a mental health assessment, um, helping place them in programs, doing aid in sentencing. I, I did provide in my materials um, an example of, uh, of a psychosocial evaluation that I had um, a psychologist do in an indecent assault and battery on a person under 14 case that I was trying to get a breakdown for. Um, and I can't really emphasize enough how helpful social workers are. Um, because just remember that each prosecutor has hundreds of cases on their plate and your clients have, you know, a file to them until you take the time to personalize your client and really make them um, a person. And the way that you can do that um, is really by talking about their background. Um, if they're a primary caretaker, if they're a young client, you could talk about um, or the social worker could talk about the recent studies in brain development. Um, if they're a non-citizen, how their background has affected them from where they came from. So 
um, you can do an enormous amount to personalize your clients um, and really get a good disposition for them. And I highly recommend using a social worker in your practice um, as much as you can. Thank you.